Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Every one of us wants and needs strength and power. The average American adult spends $155 per month on health and fitness, or over $112,000 in their lifetime. Approximately 82.1 million adults spend an estimated $28.6 billion on gym memberships every year. Ironically, approximately $147 billion are spent each year to treat overweight and obese Americans. These statistics apply only to North America, not to Europe or the rest of the world. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah 40:29. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. This is a promise from God of spiritual strength and power to accomplish His purpose through our lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that those who follow Christ should ignore physical fitness. Of course not. We need to be good stewards of our physical health. But what Isaiah promises is that God will provide inner strength and power to accomplish his purpose through us if we will wait on him. Now, 
what is waiting on the Lord in the Old Testament, but another way of saying in the New Testament that God will provide strength and power to those who pray. St. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing. Prayer is our lifeline to God. It is the means by which he gives strength and power to his children. In our gospel reading today in Ephesians chapter 3, St. Paul outlines a pattern of prayer for strength and power. Look carefully at verses 16 to 19. St. Paul actually prays four prayers in one, and each prayer builds on the preceding prayer and is the cause of the next one. I want you to imagine in your mind a beautiful palace somewhere in England or Europe. This palace has many wonderful and luxurious rooms. Each petition is a spacious room opening out into a larger and wider hall, finally leading to the most majestic, beautiful inner chamber. Let's look closely at each of these requests. First, that he would grant you to be strengthened by his Spirit in the inner man. It is God's desire that every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ should be strong by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are living in a time in history where many Christians have reduced Christian profession to what has been called sin management. People tend to see the Bible and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as simply a means to receiving forgiveness and getting their souls into heaven. This is a self-serving and consumer approach to Christianity. Now, of course, one of the results of the gospel is forgiveness of sins and the ultimate entry of a believing soul into heaven. But the wonderful story of Christianity is that we are forgiven of our sins for a purpose. That purpose is that we might be filled with the supernatural life of God granted to us by the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the gospel is that we are pardoned for the pursuit of holiness with God. We are brought into relationship with God for the purpose of being changed more and more into God's character and likeness. And how can we be changed into God's character and likeness? We cannot accept that the power of the Holy Spirit works through us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, For we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Once God has us in the process of being changed by the Holy Spirit, he then desires to fill us with the strength of the Holy Spirit so that he can accomplish his work in the world. The strength of the Holy Spirit is not our own, but comes to us as a gift from above. Write this thought indelibly in your mind. If you believe upon Jesus Christ and trust him as Lord, God, and Savior, God the Father has forgiven you. He has reconciled you to himself for the purpose of having you share in the strength of his divine spirit. 
If you feel that you are spiritually weak, you are actually in a good place, for God can swamp your weakness with his ability. Paul's second prayer is a further step upwards, leading to the master inner chamber. This request has two parts to it. First, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith, and second, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. Now, when we speak of Christ dwelling in the heart of a believing person, this is to be taken quite literally as a fact. Many people in our modern world simply cannot believe this. How can the second person of the Holy Trinity dwell in the heart of a believer? It is a mystery, yet a wonderful and blessed mystery. When a person turns from his sins, believes upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and is baptized, God sends the Spirit of Christ to dwell within that person. This fact is not to be watered down to the idea of imitating Christ, or sympathizing with him, or participating in his likeness. No. Famous philosophers or religious leaders can inspire their followers, but Christ influences his followers by the very gift of himself, his living presence within the human soul. The word Paul uses for dwell is an important word. It is the Greek word for a permanent residence, not a temporary one. It is a compound word which conveys the idea of intensity and continuity. It is God's desire that Christ settle down, abide, and make his permanent home in our hearts. Christ is not to be an occasional visitor in a moment of enthusiasm, but a constant companion and resident. But he will not force his way into our lives, will he? He awaits our invitation. We must cry out to him in the words of the hymn writer, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Now we said that each prayer is the result of the preceding one. So here we see that it is the strengthening of the Spirit that makes possible the continuous abiding and dwelling of Christ within us. Only the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ can make the heart fit for the indwelling of Christ himself. This is a wonderful paradox, beloved. Listen, it is Christ in the heart that makes the heart fit for Christ to dwell in the heart. Christ opens the door of our hearts and makes the heart long and desire for his coming. This is not something we do, we conjure up on our own, by our own unaided will. We must turn to Christ. We must pray to him, ask him, and beg him to act within us. How is all this possible? By faith. Look at verse 17. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. More accurately, it would be, through faith. 
Faith is the means by which Christ comes to dwell in the heart of his followers. Some of the very first words of the Lord Jesus when he began his earthly ministry were, Repent and believe the gospel. So it is repentance and faith that opens the door to Christ living within us. Now we need to understand that faith, which is trust in God, is distrust of the self. One of the greatest obstacles to faith in our modern world is self-sufficiency. I want you to imagine in your mind a drowning man in the middle of hurricane force waves in the Atlantic Ocean. His strength is obviously running out. He sinks under the water, then claws his way back to the surface for a final gulp of air. A life buoy is thrown to him. Grab the buoy and hold on tight, comes the cry of the Coast Guard rescuer. No, thank you, shouts the drowning man. I can do this myself. Don't you know I'm a champion swimmer? I'm strong enough to make it to the shore on my own. The drowning man refuses help and quite obviously perishes. Faith is distrust in myself and total reliance upon God. Many religions talk about God dwelling in a person's soul, but they claim that we must first purify ourselves enough before God can enter. Christianity teaches that we cannot purify ourselves we cannot cleanse our own hearts by our own unaided efforts. We must ask God to cleanse us by continual repentance and crying out to him to cleanse our hearts by his grace. Then look at the second part of this second prayer. That you may be rooted and grounded in love. What a wonderful promise! When Christ comes, he brings the gift of his own love to fill our hearts. And because God is love, when Christ comes into a man's heart, love will be the soil in which his life will be rooted and grow. When love is the soil in which the life is rooted and grows, love becomes the motive of our service and the cause of our good works. Goodness and beauty will be the fruit of such a life, not selfishness and self-indulgence. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson, bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Therefore a man's life grows not by the effort of himself, 
but by God's inherent power within the man's soul as the man cooperates with God. Here is a great difference between the modern view of man and the biblical view of man. Modern man roots himself in himself. He makes himself the final authority and judge in all matters. Modern man arrogantly assumes that he is competent to accept or reject whatever God has revealed. The real issue, friends, is that God is passing judgment upon us. We are all sinners, estranged from God who must be brought back into union and communion with Him. Has this revelation been brought home to you, my dear listener? Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and been baptized for your salvation? The third petition in Paul's great prayer for the believers is the result of God answering the first two petitions. The first two petitions have been for inward strength by the Holy Spirit in order that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith and that we may be rooted and grounded in love. When we are strengthened by the Spirit and rooted and grounded in love, the result is that we know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. What this means, friends, is that only the loving heart in which Christ dwells can know the love of Christ. Now, of what does this knowing consist? There are two kinds of knowledge. The first is head knowledge, knowledge of facts and figures that comes from discursive reasoning. This is scientific or intellectual knowledge. Then there is heart knowledge, a deep and living experience of something which is a true possession of it. There are thousands of people who have intellectual understanding of Jesus Christ, they know that he lived in Palestine, he died in 32 AD, and rose again from the grave. They can even discuss theology and argue about biblical concepts, and yet these same people don't have the deep love of Jesus within them. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.1 that knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Head knowledge consists of mere facts in the brain. Heart knowledge consists of a deep knowing of the heart and will, which is really the only knowledge worth having. Experiential heart knowledge is the best teacher. A person must be hungry to know what hunger is. He must taste honey in order to know what sweetness is. We learn to swim, not by theorizing about swimming, but by jumping in and learning how in the water. We must have love for Christ in order to have a deep living possession of his love. Of course, the understanding of the head has its part to play in leading the heart to love. We must study to know and understand the facts concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his teaching. For head knowledge supplies the facts upon which love is nourished. The one who loves God knows God, for God is love. The one who is rooted and grounded in love because Christ dwells in his heart will be strengthened to know the love in which he is rooted. But notice the order of loving and knowing. Psalm 34, 8 says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
First we taste by experiencing God's love within us. Then we see, we understand with our minds that the Lord is good. First there is a deep trust and reliance upon God. Then there comes the clear perception of God by the mind. First the enjoyment of God within, then the reflection and understanding of that enjoyment. Then see that this knowledge of Christ is something that is known with all the saints or within the fellowship of the church. John Wesley said that God knows nothing of solitary religion. We understand and possess the deep love of Christ within the context of the corporate worship and fellowship of the church, which is the communion of saints. We don't experience the love of Christ in solitary isolation from the church, alone and unattached from the body of Christ. This truth grows in importance as we have witnessed the development of the phenomenon known as the Internet Church Online, something deadly and dangerous for believers. Although the Internet clearly provides many helpful spiritual resources, programs, and services, Christ clearly intends for his people to be gathered together into congregations for worship. The fellowship of the saints is a vital means of grace for the disciple of Jesus. While listening to a sermon online can be helpful, no technology can replace the authenticity that comes from participation in the local church. Believers need the accountability found only within face-to-face -face contact. We need to hear sermons preached by real flesh-and-blood preachers in the real-time experience of Christian worship. We need to confess our faith together. We need to receive Holy Communion together. We need to confess our sins and be declared forgiven by the blood of Christ together. We also need to be deployed for service in Christ's name together. Let's face the facts, beloved. A digital preacher will not pray at your bedside or preach your funeral. The deep limitations of the Internet Church online become evident where the church is most needed. Then remember that knowledge of the love of Christ depends upon our purity. If we want to know God's love, his love must first purify our souls. For those who walk in impurity are like people groping about in darkness. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is why so many people today walk through life with the full bright light of Christ's love all around them, but can't see it or know anything about it. The fourth and final petition in Paul's great prayer in Ephesians 3 is that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the height and summit of spiritual experience. It is the answer of every prayer that we might experience the very fullness of God and become like God. Something we all long for, beloved something that we have not yet attained, but that we inwardly yearn for every day of our lives. This phrase, the fullness of God, means the whole sum of all his energies, powers, and attributes. Because God is love, he desires to pour himself into the emptiness and need of his creatures to fill them up with himself. 
God's love, truth, holiness, and joy are to be showered upon those who yearn for him and believe in him. This is the magnificent promise of the gospel. God has incarnated himself into the Lord Jesus Christ so that he may be near to us and in us. This is what St. John means in John 1.16. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. And what does receiving God's fullness imply? It means that God's desire is that our whole being may be so saturated with his indwelling presence that our sense of ache and emptiness and longing and want is satisfied. Jesus said to the woman at the well in St. John 4, The water that I shall give shall be a well of water springing up to eternal life. In other words, we can drink of the water of this world. We can drink of the water of pleasure, power, wealth, and fame and never be filled. We will always want more. But if we turn from the vanity of this world, we can drink from the water of Christ and be filled and satisfied with the fullness of God himself. One of the great causes of worldliness and sinfulness in the modern church is because too many fail to really believe that followers of Jesus may possess the fullness of God in their human experience. Too often we make excuses for ourselves. Too often we say, oh, it's all right, we're all sinners and we can't really be expected to live a truly holy, godly life, can we? Beloved, this is wrong-headed thinking. God's purpose for us from all eternity is that his children may possess his nature in fullness and become more and more like him. We are to grow daily in grace and holiness of life through the power of God working in us. Now, how can all this be true? How can these wonderful promises expressed in Paul's prayer become ours? The way forward, beloved, is to realize that we must keep near to our master. We must meditate upon him and be thankful for his presence. We must constantly turn our thoughts to him. We must remember him through reading the Bible and receiving communion. We must beg God to keep us in Christ and to experience his love on a daily basis. We must look to him, love him, and listen to him. For as we do this, we will more and more become like him. For we all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord the Spirit. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Gaudette Ministries. You may reach us on the web at gaudetteministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please 
Help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint. 